The lights up here continue to tell the story that we are in this Advent season, the season of waiting and anticipation for the coming of Christ, the celebration that God fulfilled his promises of the New Testament and the first coming of Christ, and the hope and expectation that those same promises made of his eventual return will come true. And this year, in this season, we are looking at these words from the Advent wreath and seeing how Christ came to bring them. So far, we've looked at hope and peace, and this morning, we will be looking at that word, joy. And to help us explore those words, we're going to be first looking at an Old Testament text from Jeremiah chapter 23, I'm sorry, 33. We will be reading verses 7 through 16. If you look that up in your pew Bibles, that's found on page number 787. Otherwise, it's on the screen as seen behind me. Again, page number 787, Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 7 through 16. In the days of Jeremiah... God spoke these words, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy. A praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. Thus says the Lord, in this place of which you say it is a waste without man or beast, in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of myrrh and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, give thanks to the Lord of hosts. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in this place that is waste, without man or beast, and in all of its cities, there shall again be habitations of shepherds resting their flocks. In the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the Shephelah, in the cities of the Negev, in the land of Benjamin, the places about Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, flocks shall again pass under the hands of the one who counts them, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved. And Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. 
looking at those Old Testament texts, we also look to the New Testament text, where we'll be reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 16. This is found starting on page 1018 of your pew Bibles, if you'd like to read along from there. Again, Luke chapter 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Joy. What another wonderful word to reflect upon and to imagine and to celebrate in this season of Advent. But probably more than the other words that we looked at, hope and peace, joy seems associated when we think about it with an emotional experience. The feelings of, of happiness and excitement. And so the question that I wrestled with as I tried to contemplate the, the word and these texts was the idea, how do you get people to have an emotional, positive experience through a sermon? How do I get you to feel happiness and excitement in this season? And I ask that again in, in the context of, of knowing you and of knowing where we are. And so through this week, I, I paid attention and I thought, Joy, where can it be found? And I heard stories. On the one hand, I, I heard a story from my wife, Jen. For those that may not know, she's a, a preschool teacher where she teaches three-year-olds. And she told me the story this week of, of how when the rain had ended one day, all of a sudden through their classroom window, they could see for a while a rainbow in the sky. And this excited one of her students a whole lot. So much so that quickly he ran to his other classmates and was saying, come on, put down your your toys come look at the rainbow and they were interested in their own things and he was getting upset and disappointed because his classmates didn't share his same joy and to the point where one of the other teachers had to kind of pull him aside and say you know we can't force people to love the rainbow like you do but I can relate to his experience because as much as we want to find joy in this season, 
There were other stories and things happening even this very week where you say, where is joy in that? On that same day, I heard the story of a congregation member that got the sad news of a cousin that had committed suicide. Where is joy in the desperation of an individual who no longer thinks that this life is worth living? Later in the week, I stood with the Vandermulens as they said goodbye to beloved father and grandfather. And in those moments where tears are shed and shared, you ask the question, how do I prepare for a message on joy this week? And that's not even to mention the people that for years now, this season has become not a season of, of light and celebration, but becomes a reminder of the loss and the pain of those that no longer are here, that used to bring so much joy to this season. And in missing them, it is hard to, to find that joy. And that's those dealing with sadness and grief, not even to mention those that, that just go through life with blah. Yeah, maybe it's not sadness, but, but not happiness either. And so again, you get to that fundamental question for all of us in this season. How do you find, how do you inspire people to try to find joy? Well, we think about this season as a season of, of gift giving. And so we say, well, maybe if I gave you a gift, then you can find joy. And again, you probably would answer, well, the Depends on what's in the gift. Where we all have, have seen and experienced, hopefully, either for ourselves or someone that we love, where they opened the gift, they saw the package, and it looked just the right size and shape for what they wanted, what they were hoping for, but never dared imagine that they would actually receive and then when they start to tear it open, sure enough, there's the picture on the box and they can hardly empty it or, or, or finish unwrapping the gift before they start dancing around and shouting. They never imagined, there it is, they own it. In many ways, that's the epitome of joy. It's what many gift givers and gift receivers are aiming for in this season. But what if it wasn't quite what you were hoping for? What if instead it was just a, a, a year-long supply of toothpaste? <laughs> and your chuckle realized, there's no joy. I mean, it's a practical gift. You would use it. But toothpaste is a gift you give to somebody on a Tuesday morning, not, not something you wrap up and store and put under a tree to be opened on a special occasion. And in fact, if you were anticipating something great like a, a new gaming system or a new cell phone and you got toothpaste instead, instead of inspiring joy, you would say, it's not a gift that I want. And you probably would be discouraged and almost disappointed instead. If we think that we could have or should be getting something bigger and better, just giving what we need doesn't always inspire joy. The reality is, 
as I thought through this, that I can't make any of you feel joyful in this season, and I won't be able to do that in this message this morning. And that I think if I tried to just do a lot of things up here to inspire you to happiness, that I would probably get into a lot of difficult and and problematic areas. But what I think we can do this morning is together remember how special and how unexpected a gift is the gift of Christ. And that's again why I want to start with these Old Testament texts. This text this morning from Jeremiah. At the time of the writing of Jeremiah 33, Jerusalem was in shambles. What had once been this great city of David and his son Solomon, this place where other nations would come and marvel at the glory and the majesty of what had been built and what existed, the envy of their neighbors and the gossip of the nations around them now literally lay in shambles and in ruins. We get glimpses of that in our text where it says in verse 10, in this place of which you say it is a waste without man or beast and the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man or inhabitant or beast. A line basically repeated in verse 12. And so at this point, when they looked at the city of Jerusalem, instead of seeing majesty and joy, they saw desolation and destruction. And for those that were honest and willing to see it, they would recognize that this is what they had brought about for themselves and what they had earned and deserved because of their behavior as a nation. For many, many years, they had wandered away from the people that God had called them to be. They had worshipped idols. They had tried to engage in practices of the other gods. They had neglected care for the poor and living as a light to the other nations that they were supposed to. And having received through those years, warning after warning from prophet after prophet, repent and stop walking this way or else we will lose our nation and our land, our place in this world. They continue to ignore those warnings and eventually those warnings came true. The Babylonians had come and had conquered the land and all that was left was ruin and it was their fault they had gotten what they had deserved a just punishment for their ongoing rebellious sins but as much as that's the context of this text this text is not about destruction about sadness and darkness but it was about hope and joy The repeated line from God that I will restore the fortunes of the land. Despite their sins and rebellions in verse 8, God says, I will cleanse them from all their guilt of their sin against me. And I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And while Jerusalem lay in ruins at this moment in history, God says in verse 9 that this city shall be to me 
a name of joy. A city that will be so blessed that when people look at it, they can hardly understand how these people can be cared so well for by their God. And it's described in a couple of different images and ways. Verses 10 through 11 says that while people right now are looking at a place that is desolate and is empty, it will be filled with the joy of marriage. When you're in a season of war, marriage isn't on your mind. The young men of the country are needed to fight the battles. And the fear is that if you unite in marriage to one of those young men, they'll go forth and, and you'll be left as a widow and there will be many fatherless children. During war, they don't know what their future looked like. So there's no time for celebrations or for these usual festivals that surround weddings. But that's going to change. People will fall in love. Marriage covenants will be made. They will be able to celebrate in those joyous occasions where you see people coming together to make new homes and to plan and, and to be prepare for the future. That will happen again. And then in verses 12 through 13, they are told that this desolated place of depressed hunger and barren land would again be filled with people caring for their sheep. Before Jerusalem eventually fell, the last kind of attack was the Babylonians laid a terrible siege to the city. And what that means is that the army surrounded the walled gates of Jerusalem, making sure that nobody could go in or go out in order to gather crops or to get food or provisions. And so the people inside, locked in that city, end up slowly starving to death. And in those desperate scenes, Jeremiah describes the most awful of atrocities that come with people that are hungry and cannot feed themselves. There's no sheep left. There are no provisions. But again, God says that's going to change. And to these hungry, desperate people, he says there's going to be a time where there are flocks grazing in all different territories and where the shepherds can hardly count their sheep because there's so many of them. And all of that is going to come, as it says in verses 14 through 16, because God would be faithful to his promise to raise up a new king in the line of David, a righteous branch that will guide and lead the people to a brighter, better future. Instead of just receiving judgment, he was going to bring promises of that change. And while there were many hundreds of years between when that was written, and there was many years of waiting and times of growth and rebuilding and struggle that continued, that day eventually came. It was a day when a descendant from the King David was preparing to get married to his fiancée. A marriage that was interrupted by an unexpected but divinely appointed pregnancy. A marriage celebration interrupted by the need to, to go to a different place to be counted in a census. It was a day when in a small city just outside of Jerusalem there were shepherds 
out in the field, keeping watch over their flock at night. And they were that, just shepherds. It wasn't a great and promising career. In fact, it was considered a lowly kind of gross job among the people in the culture. It was a job that would have, I'm imagining, long, cold stretches where very little happened mixed with the excitement and terrors of a predator getting too close to the flock. Not much of a job to celebrate. But to those shepherds, all of a sudden, there comes this great message brought to them. The message that came by way of an angel. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. News of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. Little did these shepherds probably realize what that message meant truly and who this infant baby was. Obviously, if an angel choir is going to bring you the news, it was probably a pretty big deal. But this little baby, a baby that was to be found in an animal feed trough, was the long-awaited Christ, the descendant of David, the one that was come to bring peace and hope to this sinful world, was not going to give the people what they deserved, but to give them the hope of eternal life through his death and resurrection. Which is why I couldn't help but think of one more to uh, text, and unfortunately my clicker is gone, so if you wouldn't mind moving to that on the screen, Hear these words as well from Isaiah, I'm sorry, from Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That phrase in there, for the joy set before him, is one that's always caught my attention. When you look at a cross, a crucifixion, probably the most evil and painful methods of capital punishment that has ever been devised by human hands. Where is their joy in that? And you could maybe say, well, you know, who for the, the necessary step that was laid before him? Or who for the mission that had been set before him was willing to endure the cross? But instead, the text says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So what is the joy of Christ looking at a cross? And the answer to that is, is it's you. You're the joy of Christ. Jesus knowing that in order to restore a relationship with you, 
To be able to enjoy eternity in the presence of the Heavenly Father together, praising God as the way that we were created to be, you had to be cleansed of your sin. That something that you could not do must be done in your place in order to make that relationship back with God restored and made new again. He would go to the cross. And in thinking about spending eternity with you, he was filled with joy. And he went and offered himself as that sacrifice. And so if we are the joy of Christ in his sacrifice, then how much more should he be the joy of our lives in how we live? And that's the joy that I hope all of you know this morning. It is the joy in knowing the value of the gift of Christ. We get the glimpse of the value of that gift when we are honest about who we are and what we deserve. When we recognize that those Israelites that were warned time and time again and yet continued to rebel against God and walk further and further from him that looked nothing like the people that God had called them to be. That we see that that's our story as well. That we too are all guilty of rejecting God, his authority in our lives, living according to our own desires, our own will. And because of that, what we deserve, what we have earned is nothing but God to turn his back on us and to say, okay, I will give you what you want. That you will live in eternity without me, without my presence, without access to me in any way. And that, in essence, is the very definition of what hell is. Existence without access to God. And that's what we deserve. But that's not what we get. I think we also get glimpses of the joy of the gift when we just do what anybody can do, Christian or not, and that's look around the world and see all of the places where people try to go to inspire those feelings of happiness and joy that always fall short. The artificial or temporary feelings that can be stirred by, by alcohol or by drugs. And yet that leads to the destruction of lives. That ongoing pursuit of finding happiness and purchasing thing after thing that you can't really afford. But hoping that it'll just give you that rush of this is new and this is exciting. And yet the money runs out. And that excitement doesn't last. And as we pursue those things that never last, we can find that joy that lasting joy and the realization that Jesus Christ is the only one who gives us not what we deserve, but the gift that we could never earn on our own. And that is the gift of a restored relationship with God. That despite our rebellion and running from him, he pursued you. And he ran after you and he went all the way to that cross in order to restore that relationship that you broke with the Lord. And that is the gift. Now, sadly, for many who have grown in the church, we've gotten to the point where that gift just feels like toothpaste. 
Yeah, Jesus died for me. We can tell the story. But I hope and I pray in this season that you will find again the joy and the deep appreciation for the value of the gift that is Christ. I pray that for those that have heard this story over and over again, that it would be heard anew this year. I pray that for those who go through life just feeling blah from day to day, not really knowing where you're going, not knowing what projects are out there, feeling like shepherds just doing your duty, that this year you would find a new joy in the announcement of the birth of Christ. I pray that for those that grieve, who feel the weight of sadness, that again, you would find that great hope that not only did we not get what we deserve, but even in the very face of death, we know that death isn't the end. And we need not face death with fear or anxiety or trepidation, but we can know that death is just the gateway into the glories that await us in heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there forever, we will know of his presence and be able to rejoice as we were created to live from the very beginning. I won't be able to inspire feelings of joy in you this morning, but together as we reflect on the great gift that is Christ, I hope and pray that you will find that joy for today, for this season, and for the rest of your life into eternity. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, again, we celebrate the, the words of this season. And I want to thank you for being our joy. And as soon as we say that, we marvel at the fact that we were your joy. That in wanting a relationship with lowly sinners like us, you went all the way to this earth, born in a dirty manger, and all the way to a cross where you died a painful death so that we might be restored to you. May the truth and the reality and the depth of that gift inspire and encourage us. For those that struggle to find hope in that, Lord, I pray that they would find it anew and there would be encouragement and joy and celebration in this season. And Lord, till that day when we are all gathered into your heavenly presence, I pray that we will live with joy we will share the good news of joy, and it would be to you alone that we looked as our source of joy, of comfort, of hope and peace in this life. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.